You're listening to SAS Nordic, the sassiest podcast in the Nordics. Hi, I'm Daniel. And I'm Thomas. And we are experienced SaaS professionals that are curious about how other successful SaaS companies go to market, scale, build winning teams and great products. Join us on our journey as we speak to Nordic SaaS leaders trying to get hold of their secret sauce. And today's guest is Victor Underwood, the CEO at Quick Channel. I believe strongly that if you do a merger like this, when you're almost two equally big big ones when you go together you can't one can't take on the other one's culture there will be a new culture that needs to be created hello there and welcome to another episode of the sas nordic podcast great to have you with us yet another time and uh, daniel how are you today i'm very good I'm very good. Uh, excited about this upcoming uh, interview we have here because it's actually a topic that's a hot potato now. In uh, in this day of age, uh, more and more companies are looking at mergers. Yeah, there is a consolidation within many, I think, many verticals uh, on the market. Yep. And thinking about a consolidation or a merger is one thing. Executing on it is a different thing absolutely and maybe we'll learn something here how to do it properly yeah at least we're gonna you know take part of someone else's experiences uh, and so on and happy to for it to be um, uh, a friend and an active part of the Cessnody community and CEO network let's meet him he's just around the corner here we go Today, we are very happy to have Victor Underwood, the CEO at Quick Channel, here as a guest in the SAS Nordic podcast. So, uh, welcome, Victor. Thank you so much, Thomas and Daniel. Super glad to be here. Honored to be here on your podcast. It's great to have you here. And uh, a couple of episodes ago, I think we, we, we talked about, like, I wonder if somebody has listened to all of our episodes. And we just found out in, you know, here two minutes ago that. You probably have gone through all the episodes, right? Yeah, I think I have. I, I said I'm a bit star starstruck to be on <laughs> on the Sauce Nordic podcast here. Yeah. I don't mean to put you to the test in any way, but is there an episode that you felt like, oh, that was like uh, good for you or close to heart or something like that? Something that you remember a little bit extra? Yeah, I mean, I have a, <laughs> not the best memory, but I think um, the one with Jakob Luna. Yeah. From the Lunga, the Log, yeah, Pila, yeah. the Log, yeah, the, the Danish company. His uh, it was fairly recent, maybe like uh, two three months ago. Mm. Uh, talking about how a company goes through different stages, and like the challenges in those stages, uh, going from every one person with ten hats to specialized people and sharing knowledge and and that's what we've been. I've experienced all those challenges. Uh, uh, here in the last uh, couple of years and very intensely so in the last eight to nine months yeah i'm impressed because you probably remembered more than we did yeah <laughs> a fun fact also you know we didn't have a big plan when we started this but uh, we, we we wanted to do a podcast at least and daniel said to me you know they're going to be CEOs listening to this show. And I said, no way, Daniel. No one will listen to this. <laughs> Definitely not CEOs. They, they are not going to sit and listen to a podcast. And here we have one listen to almost 100. So, yeah, quite amazing. I don't know if we ever to told that story, but like it's, we're sidetracking now. Sorry, Victor. But like I had to like chase him down. And I think Thomas, he basically eventually just gave in <laughs> just because he's a good friend. Yeah. He's like, fine, fine. If you need somebody to do a podcast with, I'll do it with you. Yeah. 
Seth Nordic is a pity fuck. So uh, <laughs> uh, I've never been on that side, but there you go. <laughs> All right, but Victor, this episode is all about you and about Quick Channel and your journey. So why don't you tell us about yourself? Who's Victor? Yeah, sure. So yeah, I'm Victor Underwood. Uh, changed my name to a more international fitting name here two years ago when I got married. Uh, what was it before? Headstrom. Okay. So Underwood has a good, better ring to it. And it did what did you like? Did you marry an English American? Yeah, married an, an, a British woman. Uh, I think it was she didn't want to be called Headstrom. Okay. Bad English name. <laughs> Underwood. Well, like, why do I think of House of Cards? Yeah, exactly. It's a fun story where two people called uh, Victor here at the company. I'm Victor Underwood and he's Victor Frank. No. So our surnames are Frank <laughs> Underwood. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a good house of card uh, connection. But on top of my name, I'm uh, 34 years old, uh, got two kids, uh, one, one, soon one year old and one three year old, and a British wife living in, uh, outside of Stockholm. Okay. What can you tell us about your professional career? Yeah, so I started, uh, I worked a bit extra in sales in school and so on. And after high school, it was 2008, just when the financial crisis started, I Got a job as a junior salesperson uh, at a company called Abilityim, and they were selling web TV solutions. I was employee number three and was sitting in a basement without windows in Old Town in Stockholm, calling organizations, trying to get them to take their meetings like on the TV, but on the internet, but in the computer, and not only live, but also on demand right and ability then became quick channel down the line so i was there employee number three was in sales for two three years and then i left had to do a ski season and study in sweden and asia and then lived in in, in the uk for a bit uh, before i got the opportunity to come back to this company yeah. uh, as the ceo uh, seven and a half years ago okay so there was already sort of uh, a period where you worked at Quick Channel or the company that became Quick Channel. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so it was the same company. We just changed the name later on because uh, no one could spell ability. So we never got the order for orders didn't come in as they should. Um, but no, yeah, my friends always joke with me and say, oh, when are you going to do something with your life? You're working at the same company as when you were 19. <laughs> <laughs> but it has developed a bit since. Clearly, it's been working out good for you. Yeah, it's been a very exciting journey, to be honest. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about Quick Channel. Like, what are you guys up to? What do you do? So we are a end-to-end video platform. Uh, so we help uh, organizations with their video communication needs, uh, which could be creating video content, like doing a webinar or live streamed all hands or managing on-demand video content and publishing it on your intranet or for training or on your website. Um, and then uh, helping them throughout the video journey then to like yeah, publish it to their viewers, integrate it in their social medias or uh, website platforms, analytics, branding, and so on. But yeah, video communication is the space that we're in um, and uh, we, where we help our clients. Gotcha. And, and who are your main clients? What category would you say like, this is our ICP? So... I would say, and we will probably talk a little bit about it uh, soon enough as well, that we're, now we are, a, a, the company is a product of two companies. Uh, 
but both had uh, had two main customer groups. Uh, so that's what we have still today. So public sector and private sector. And in public sector, it's a bit larger municipalities and government agencies, the ones that operate more like Nordic enterprise, so to speak. Right. And on the corporate side, it is larger, uh, larger uh, organizations, uh, Nordic enterprise or maybe normal mid-market. Mm. And what is it that drives this? Is it like, do you have to have a certain amount of people that are involved in this creation process or is it the amount of hours of video material that you produce or like i think if you have um, if you are a big enough organization like we say the knowledge intensive organizations is a very good fit because there is a lot of knowledge that needs to be shared internally externally so let's say like law firms or finance companies uh, banks uh, etc they do this um, they have a big communication need and they do a lot of video a lot of seminars back in the day now it's a lot of webinars and then it's a lot of content to manage and preferably when they get a bit larger and in public sector they also do care about security compliance accessibility and those are things that are like in our backbone in our dna uh, so we're very strong gotcha uh, in that sense cool and i know that you are reading april Dunford's book about positioning here so what's your positioning in the market Ooh, that's a that's that's a tough one. Uh, I'm reading the book for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> Should we go through the five steps? Like if like what was the first one? If they don't use you, where would the clients go? Yes, if they don't use us, where would the clients go? Well, now I will respond, which is against April Dunford's uh, recommendation. We should ask the market, right? But if uh, they weren't, a very normal thing is the pandemic made a huge shift in the market. It made all organizations work with video. Mm -hmm. So before it was maybe like a bit early adopters and big organizations. But during the pandemic, you couldn't travel, you had lockdowns and so on. So everyone worked with video. This created that all different organizations and departments just got one video tool to create a webinar, one to edit the video, another third one to publish it, a fourth one to manage it, a fifth one to have a library, a sixth one to analyze it, a seventh one to brand it, etc., etc. You just described our organization. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then this, I think many listening also recognize themselves in this. And if you, uh, and, and this is best practice today, like that's how most organizations work. Uh, but the nice thing, what we can come in now uh, do with our new positioning, being an end-to-end -end video platform, is that we can actually provide one workflow in a beautiful UX, seamless, saving a lot of time, and can also even save money on uh, like licenses and so on. So you don't have to have yeah, five different tools and download and upload videos and, oh, now I'm rendering a video, I have to leave my computer overnight because I can't touch it in case it breaks. And so all of this is solved. Um, so that's uh, that's our, our offering. But we set the positioning after the merger here this fall. And <clears throat> now we went to this conference in Malmö called Sassiest and listened to, I went to her deep dive session, her masterclass, April's, and uh, realized that uh, I agree with her. We should do this every six months, at least until we nail it. So we're going to do it again now. Okay. Uh, and update it and work like her recommendation continuously get back to it so we'll always stay on top of it cool great all right let's put things in perspective you know what's happening next year since you've listened to all the episodes so now we're going to ask you for some numbers yeah let's start with what is your arr level right now in euros and also if you can share with us how fast you're growing year over year the last couple of years yeah so um the our arr is four million euros 
Um, and we're currently growing about 20% year on year. Um, it's a bit slowed down here after the merger and with the economic climate, uh, but with the current plan now, we're going to get back to 40-50%, which is the levels that we have been growing in the last couple of years. Okay, gotcha. And how many customers do you have today? And in what regions, geos, are those customers predominantly? Yeah, so we have uh, roughly 330 clients uh, today, mm-hmm. um, and um, they are predominantly here in the Nordics. I would say Sweden is probably accounting for 80% of them, uh, and then some in the uh, other Nordic countries, Norway, Finland. But we have customers in 10, 10 countries, so we have in Switzerland, Germany, Netherlands, Australia, uh, and so on as well. Right. But they are more like one-offs. Gotcha. And did you already say how many people you were employed at Quick Channel? No? No, I don't think so. Uh, we are currently 50, so five zero uh, employees. Okay. And how are you funding the operations? So did you bring in external capital at some point or always bootstrapped? Uh, so we were bootstrapped for 20 plus years uh, and uh, up until uh, 2020. Uh, and before that, like in 2018, uh, we went through an accelerator. And that's when I started to realize like, oh, we can actually put ambitious goals here and strive towards them. And then I started to listen to your alternative in the market back then, this uh, American podcast about SaaS and so on. Mm-hmm. And I re- quickly realized uh, that if we want to grow fast and take this opportunity that is in the video market, which we saw a huge potential in, uh, we need more developers, invest more in product, invest more in the commercial organization that takes cash up front that will generate value in the future. Uh, so we started to pitch and talk to investors. Uh, and in uh, 2020, the summer of 2020, we took in our first external investors uh, in BLQ Invest or Black Invest. And how, how much have you raised so far? So we've raised approximately 3 million euros. Gotcha. And how much sits... Uh, of the ownership sits with you and with you know key employees, if you may. Yeah, so uh, I have a few percent. So I came in ex- externally, um, not being on the founding team. So I have a few percent and a few percent on top of that in, in options. Um, and uh, then the two biggest owners of the company today is uh, Black Invest, uh, one and the other is the owners uh, of uh, Screen9, the company that we merged with. Gotcha. Gotcha. And and speaking about merger, that is the, the main topic that we're going to dig in today. So, you know, we always hear about people going through mergers and, you know, bridging two companies together. And now we have a chance to, you know, understand a little bit your logic, how you got to this point, but also looking in six months into this merger, did it develop how you expected it? So start with telling us the backstory. How did it all started? How did it all start? So in the beginning of 2020, before the pandemic, so it must have been like January, February, um, Screen9 reached out to us, the, the CEO and, and chairman of the board. Uh, and we met up and discussed. And then it was just me and the founder of Quick Channel. Uh, we had no external advisors or capital. And then we had a bit of a consolidation talk, uh, but I was so focused on we were going to raise capital and you know build this SaaS engine and go on the journey that we had in front of us. So, and we basically didn't have the like knowledge of how would you do such a big 
job as a merger without an external advisor. So we decided to not do it there and then. And then like a month later, the pandemic hit and yeah, the video need exploded. Uh, we all got a lot to do. We weren't perfectly positioned for the pandemic video communication because we were tied to beautiful studios that no one could use and not stream from home. But that has all changed since then. Um, but yeah, so we have we're on our we raised capital in 2020. We were about 10 employees back then. We grew to about 30 in 18 months. Opened up two countries. Uh, so it was a very like intense period of getting some structure in place, KPIs, OKRs, getting more data-driven in our approach, a more professional organization. Uh, and then last spring or winter, uh, I reached out to Screen9's uh, CEO <clears throat> and said, now we're a bit more ready. We have a good investor and advisor that also has a lot of experience in M&A and uh, we were really like going head to head to head with Screen 9 in more or less every public sector deal. Uh, so when we started, you know, it's like, it is a bit like, oh, hi, hi, are you calling? Yeah. Do you want to meet? Oh, do you want to meet? Yeah, sure. You play with your cards really close to your chest. Um, but we met week over week, started to involve the board, the investors. Everyone said that this sounds like a, something that we should dig deeper in. Um, so we started to do that and uh, we realized we're not going to be able to do this before summer. But me and Robert, uh, the CEO of Screen9, we met weekly and started to map out the organization, started to map out the customers and so on. And the more we got to learn about each other, the more it went from like, this could maybe be an interesting idea, moved to we're pretty darn stupid if we don't do this. This <laughs> makes a lot of sense. Um, so... Uh, yeah, that was the journey. And then we decided before the vacation period, let's start the due diligence process in the 8th of August. Uh, and uh, we went on holiday and we came back. And then it was a, everyone has been through DDs, you know, it's intense. Uh, and this was ultra intense because it was doing a normal due diligence, but then also setting the plan for the future of this combination of the two companies that's very interesting and victor I, I have a question this is from somebody that hasn't been as close as you were in this process uh i'm curious as to how do you de-risk the situation because i'm imagining if i would be the ceo of a company and the competing ceo approaches me for a merger like how do you break that news like hey we should merge that's question number one <laughs> question number two is that how do i know that you're not just milking me on information yeah i mean i think it helped uh, or i think it definitely helped that uh, screen nine's leadership or robert and the chairman of screen nine previously had reached out to us a couple of years before and uh, that of course took down the 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 hurdle or made it less of a big move for me to contact them i would say the other part of like, how can you know that you're milk, not milking or sharing too much information with each other and so on? Because you are, we are main competitors. We were competing in almost every public sector deal. Like screen nine was like a bad word. Like in the office, if you said that word, like the, the long teeth came out on our sales team. And, and if you said quick channel in the screen nine office, it was the same, same thing. So it was a, like a real rivalry in between mm -hmm. uh, so we had to have fairly early on we had to have quite a 
honest discussion, me and Robert, that like, okay, what we're saying here somehow has to be with the purpose of that we're going to do something. And if any one of us decides not to, then we we have to be clear with that as well. And f- quite early on when we said, okay, but this is interesting. You talk with your board, I talk with mine. Uh, and when we got them involved in the same room, that kind of uh, yeah made it more easy for both parties to understand that this is for real. Um, when you have the investors and the board members saying, let's engage. So these initiatives come from the CEOs. It, it was not the owners that you know looked at this and thought that this would be a great idea and, and then paired you up or the investors or something like that. No, it came from CEO to CEO. And I mean, I was a small owner of, of Quick Channel. Uh, I knew, worked tightly with Black Invest, who was the external owner in Quick Channel. I knew that they were... Uh, positive to this type of uh, transactions and had l- big experience from it, long experience from it before. Um, and I also knew that we were in an unstable financial market and this could be a good way to strengthen the company and the balance sheet. Um, so there was a lot of parts in it that made sense uh, and that I thought would make sense for the owners. And of course, after this initial chats, I had to bring in the owners and say, are you agreeing with this? And on the screen nine, and uh, Robert is the founder of screen nine, one of one of the f- co-founders, and of course then an owner as well. So talking with a person with a, a lot of mandate as well. So were all the board members like, uh, did, did they have a hallelujah moment right away, or was there a lot of hard convincing on each side? No, I don't think it was like hallelujah moment right away in either side. Um, but uh, how do you say it in English? Like your uh, cautiously positive i would say uh, but there was uh, it wasn't a completely straight road to uh, signing and a bit of looking at each other's numbers and then yay we're together it was uh, yeah there was some some discussions some tough discussions to be had i think uh, in um, in both companies to to uh, agree on this because it's of, of course a lot of risk doing a thing like this as well and it's quite unconventional at the size. Both companies was somewhere between 1.5 and 2 million euros in revenue. Okay. Both companies had existed for 20 years. It's quite a big move to take on this much of risk doing this thing. But it's also, of course, why we did it. We saw huge potential and huge opportunity. Yeah. Can you go a little bit deeper into that? What opportunities did you see in what areas and potential also difficulties that may uh, lie ahead? Yeah. So the potential uh, that we saw quite early after me and Robert talked on more or less a weekly basis there was that we understood that Quick Channel, we had a uh, larger commercial organization and I'm more commercial as well, like sales and finance background. Um, So we had a larger commercial organization and we had a smaller technical team. So more of a sales driven company uh, rather than product. Uh, And then on screen nine and it was a very engineering heavy uh, company. Uh, So like roughly 70% of the resources in engineering. And Robert is an engineer by uh, studies and uh, but also he's got the both sides with commercial and and engineering, but still they were an engineering company more and we were more of a commercial company. So when we started to take like the quick channel, which was too heavy on commercial and uh, didn't successfully build a large tech team and then vice versa on the screen nine side, when we put them together, you saw quite a balanced organization uh, straight away. 
so the the I do this analogy, which some understands and some don't. But I think that like Screen Nine have like a Volkswagen on the outside, like a nice car, good car, works well, everything. Like it's not a bad car. But when you open the hood, it was like shining. It was like a Ferrari engine in there. And Quick Channel, we were Ferrari sales guys with a Ferrari look, and but maybe not the Ferrari engine because we had invested so much. We had like a handful of developers and, and product people, mm. and they had three times that. So it's you know it's hundreds of man years more invested into the product of Screen Nine. So naturally, that's a much more uh, a bigger and more advanced product. So the idea was, of course, to take the the Ferrari look to the Ferrari engine. Um, and that's kind of what we've done now as well. So. so does this mean that you migrate all the customers to the Screen 9 platform? or? Um, no, not not directly. So the old quick channel, uh, as we say, so that platform has been very catered to uh, like political meetings and public sector communication uh, and the Screen 9 to like large content management, large scale advanced video editing like very very nice deep functionality and good integrations it's an api first platform um <clears throat> so right now we're having both platforms and we will run both platforms for a few years uh, but most of the like video communication development will be in the screen nine based platform the, the new end-to-end platform okay so a question here, I mean, of course, you have a, a lot of senior people, there is founders, owners, and so on. And how did you handle that with the merge with people getting new roles? What did you do with other CEO, uh, main owners? So how did that play out? Yeah, so that's uh, when that's when you start getting to the more complex part, uh, I would say. Uh, but when we look at, um, so Robert was the CEO for Screen Nine. Uh, he is the CPO for the company today, for Quick Channel today. So he manages all product and tech, uh, and um, all employees actually had because we didn't do this as like a cost saving exercise, right? We didn't take two companies, put them together to cut the layer of overhead, make some money. It wasn't that at all. Quick Channel had a bit more like HR in place, finance in place, and so on, those roles, which Screen 9 didn't. So there wasn't so much overlap on the those kind of admin roles. And then in the commercial side, of course, like you have sales managers, marketing managers, leaders of different areas um, that where we had to find new roles for some or some had the same kind of title, but also had to like step up in uh, responsibility and, and new challenges. Right. Uh, and some, like a couple, one or two decided to leave early on. And then uh, some, we decided that it was time to, to move on uh, a few months in when we realized that some that has been with the business for many years, that has been instrumental to taking the companies to where they were, uh, were not uh, the right fit for the next part of the journey. Which, which makes sense. And owners-wise, the, the old Quick Channel founder, uh, he is not operational anymore, and, and he did a partial exit, you could say, in, in this transaction too. PR and communication are the keys to building awareness for your company. You want to make sure you reach the right people with the right message at the right time. My News Desk is a smart PR platform where you can manage all your communication efforts in one place. My News Desk makes it easier for companies of all sizes 
to create awareness and build relations with the people that matter the most to you. Don't make PR harder than it needs to be. Visit mynewsdesk.com to start your free trial. I'm curious, like, uh, coming back to Thomas' questions, do you agree that we're doing this merger, you shake hands, and we've heard other people talk about, oh, we had a 100-day plan and we listed the key activities. Talk us through what you guys consider to be the main key activities to get this merger as functional as possible, as fast as possible. And how did it work out? Yeah. So that brings us back to the due diligence period, which we had for four weeks. The first two weeks, classical, looking at each other's numbers, technology, and so on, making sure that everything is what you expect. But then the second part of it was to actually set the plan for the future. Right. Okay, how are we not, how are we going to realize the potential in this merger? How are we not going to take two good companies and actually destroy them by putting them together? All right. Uh, We've heard other companies talk about 100-day merger plans and stuff like that and with key milestones that need to be fulfilled. Did you guys have something similar? And what were those key elements or milestones in that plan? Yeah, so uh, during this four-week due diligence period, the first half was normal due diligence, checking that everything is correct within the other companies, uh, each other's company. And then the second half was actually setting the plan for the future, ensuring that uh, taking two good companies and creating a really great one and not kind of destroying two good companies with long history uh, by doing it without a good plan. So, and our investors were very heavily involved in this uh, planning and session, which was a really like a 24 hour a day kind of around the clock. It was the most intense period of my life, I think, work-wise. Uh, where we tried new plans, got challenged on them, redid them, tried them again, tried them again, tried them again. The good part with that is that we had a solid 100-day plan and some of the big decisions were already made uh, before entering into it. So which technology platform should we build on in the future? What parts of the other technology platform and products are really great that we want to migrate over? Um, How do we want to organize ourselves? What brand should we go with? So these kind of big decisions were already made. The tricky part is, though, the next phase. How do you communicate that? Yeah, exactly. And that's where I find like a big... uh, That was a challenging part, I would say. Uh, And the brand thing must be hard. I mean, uh, compared with football teams, you have Inter and Milan, and suddenly the Inter uh, players kind of play with a Milan shirt. And, you know, you said that uh, Quick Channel was a... A bad word at screen nine and vice versa. So exactly. So that wasn't easy, and uh, we dropped that decision just like ten days in to the merger. I think that and the brand is gonna be Quick Channel. Um, and the idea in the beginning was that okay, we need direction, uh, we need like clear leadership and strategy. Why have we done this merger? Two teams a bit shook. Okay, what does this mean? All these new colleagues and we're competing and and. I thought we should supposed to hate each other. Now we're going to supposed to love each other. How how we're going to turn this around? Um, so we launched some of these big uh, changes or and communicated them internally, which was good to get it early on. But then some feedback was okay. Now two small companies have gone from like stage two to stage five, becoming a big company, and uh, the feedback was it's very top down. It's very top managed right now. There's no transparency. Um, so then I switched gears and said, okay, let's do it together with everyone. So we started doing workshops around all the decisions moving forward from there. But that kind of dragged it. So we became a bit inefficient and some decisions took longer than they should have done. 
and some people and individuals were stuck in their old brand and their old way of working and had a hard like putting the company hat on and saying what's best for for the company moving forward how can we realize the most value moving forward yeah a lot of complexities in that Uh, i can't say like this is how you should do it exactly but Mm. my strategy in it and, and and thinking is that yeah, you need to listen to the organization. Yeah. If they need more time, if they need more why, like why we're doing things, be involved in the decisions, then that's what you need to do for a period to get everyone with you. Because right. otherwise it's this headless chicken with the head running and then the body stands here still looking around, figuring out. I remember now like in a session a uh, long, long time ago, we talked about you know how to, from a CEO perspective, to keep the company in the loop and... There was this discussion about every Friday, send out an email. Did you start doing that? Actually, I've had a routine since I started as a CEO back when we were seven people in 2015, that every Friday we have a Friday meeting uh, where everyone calls in. I still kept that. Uh, It's a short meeting, one highlight from each team around the company. Back in the day, it was from each employee, but now from each in the team. So you just hear positive progress, and then you celebrate the one deals. And then you do that before the weekend. So everyone goes on weekend with like a positive taste in their mouth and feel like, wow, there's a lot of positive things happening in the company. And all my colleagues and the other departments are doing a great job. Right. I really want to get back here on Monday. So we'll continue with that. Yeah. And that brings me to the culture piece. We've heard, again, just as observers from other people merging businesses or acquiring businesses that merging two different companies with, you know, sometimes different cultures and different philosophies and you have all these uh, i don't i don't want to call them invisible what's the proper word informal cultural carriers and so on yes how did you guys make sure that was it the quick channel culture that prevailed did you create a new culture um i believe strongly that if you do a merger like this when you're almost two equally big big ones when you go together you can't one can't take on the other one's culture there will be a new culture that needs to be created we did map this before we signed the papers during this due diligence period and we identified some similarities in the culture and some differences in the culture interestingly when we start working together is that also those similarities was also different in some way because when i say that something is uh, transparent for another person transparent means another thing or when i say something is hard working and then for another but you know like you have different angles on on a word yeah um so i would say the culture uh, the culture was quite different and the technical team of old quick channel the small tech team that went in with a big tech team in, uh, in the merger i would say almost felt acquired by screen nine uh, okay and the commercial team from Screen 9 almost felt acquired by Quick Channel with the brand and so on. Yeah. yeah. But can you give some examples of the differences in culture that you mentioned? I mean, concrete examples. Um, I would say that the, like, the communication in uh, Screen 9 was more like direct and in Quick Channel uh, less so. Uh, I would say that's one like how we communicate with each other. Is direct is that you bring in someone at the office and you tell them exactly this is how it is? or, or Yeah, maybe like yeah, was the more direct feedback in a sense uh, than what we had in, in old Quick Channel. Mm. Another part was that old Quick Channel had grown to 30 employees and uh, Screen 9 had less than 10 in Sweden. Um, so they were like 
acting like a small family group. They all knew each other. There was one person on each role. Whilst we had started to build an organization where you need to share things through a process and so on. And that was also a bit of a clash that I think, I believe uh, when my colleagues now coming from Screen 9, I think that they thought it was a bit like, oh, you're very formal and structured for being a small company. It's a bit slow. <laughs> but realizing now a few months in that, okay, it helps now when we're growing because we can't grow, like what Jacob said in his podcast episode, like you can't grow from a certain point if you don't have knowledge sharing, good communication and so on. Mm. Uh, so I think uh, that was one uh, one part. Another part was that they were an engineering company, preferably build everything ready until it's really working nicely and then you take it to market. Whilst old quick channel maybe said, yeah, yeah sure, we can solve that problem. When do you need it? Oh, in two weeks. Oh, yeah, exactly. they are developers that we call roadmap. We gotta have to put that in the in the in the trash can, and you gotta have to solve. This. I just sold this PowerPoint slide. Yeah, <laughs> help me. A little bit like that. So if you would polarize it, we were a bit more. We sold it, and then we built the plane whilst we were flying, and and Screen Nine built like really nice planes, and then they rolled them out smoothly to market. So we had a bit, yeah. I would say that's a big. It was a difference as well. How was the setup in terms of, uh, you know, what tools? For example, did you use the same CRM? Did you use the same accounting systems, or did you also have to go through a merger? We've heard that could also be a nightmare. <laughs> yeah, we didn't have the same CRM. <laughs> we didn't have the same code language on the tech side. Um, so there was a lot of again, like the the commercial team from Screen Nine had to learn all the commercial systems from Quick Channel the brand, the CRM, the processes, and so on. And the on the tech side, we're following the the, the processes and systems from, from the Screen 9 tech team, um, mostly. But did you use like AWS, both of you, or Azure, or no. did you work in Jira, or yeah, those kind of things? That's the good thing. Yeah, the work, no, we didn't was working on the same, but we both had an extremely strong GDPR and uh, compliance profile. So both of us ran our own servers in our own data centers. And if we scaled out, we scaled out in fully compliant servers that are like clouds like OVH and others that are like European and compliant. And there was a big like government report. There was only two video platforms in the market that was recommended that you could buy if you're a public sector due to Schrems 2 and GDPR. And that was Screen 9 and Quick Channel. So now we're the only recommended video platform in the market. Monopoly. I hear Monopoly. <laughs> I hear cha-ching. <laughs> no, I hear a lot of value for the clients. Because one purpose also with the, with the merger was that, you know, we put the plan and roadmap for three months and then Screen 9 released something. And then all our customers said, oh, we want what Screen 9 has. And we had to scrap our plans, build the same thing, release it, and then we did the same. So we were catching each other like this. And now we just put the resources together, build the best platform in the market. And uh, yeah, so I think we're bringing the, the value to our clients will be monumentally more right. working like this. Then. So, uh, so far, what has been the most challenging thing in the process? Um, so one of the most challenging thing in the process uh, is to keep momentum whilst doing all of this change. Okay. Uh, which we haven't managed to keep momentum. And you mean momentum as in like still, you need to still licenses and sales and all yeah, this? Yeah, exactly. Because like doing the merger, of course, like the first weeks after the merger, everyone, when it's big change, every person, that's how we work. Okay, now something is happening. We have to stop and think, well, how does this impact me? What is going on? So you lose some speed. 
And then it took us, we were fast. Five months in, we released a new combined platform to the market with new pricing, new packaging, new value prop, new positioning. So we worked super hard, like the few, first few months. I'm very proud of the work that we've done there. Uh, but it also meant during these months, we didn't really know until that all of this was decided, what are we going to sell? To whom? What price? What's the name? What the features? Mm. Uh, so the kind of pipeline that was supposed to be built in Q4 and with our sales cycle to be closed in Q1, Q2 wasn't built as it would have done if we were two separate companies. Yeah. Um, so we're feeling that a bit now. And I would also say like the... The, the macroeconomic climate doesn't give us tailwind or anyone at the moment. So that's been uh, been tough. Like how much should we focus on our day-to-day versus how much should we focus on getting the merge done together so that we can gain the long-term uh, wins and, and uh, value from. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe it's, it's the same thing, but I'm also curious. You had this grand plan. You've gone through this process. But was there something that caught you and other key players by surprise that like it wasn't in the plan and but this is happening and now we have to deal with it? Um, yeah, of course, the macroeconomic situation, I would say that it's just slowing and slowing and slowing. It could have been easier if it was uh, more wind in, in the sales, I would say, uh, or more tailwind. But um, uh, in terms of the merger, um, no, also I'm positively surprised by, I mean, I've never worked with like such a large team before uh, and the amount that we can get done, the tempo that we have in product development, how much we ship to the market, like how many uh, customers we can meet, pitch to, and so all of this, like the, 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 the power of being at scale, we're 50 people, it's not a huge scale, but that has been uh, very impressive to see. And also dedication from uh, the team that people could go in from being competitors. Most of the team have actually gone into this with an open mind and said, okay, but we're going to do, we're super professionals, we're best in breed in what we do, and we're going to continue to do that together. Um, And yeah, I would say that's uh, not surprises, but that's been really positive to see uh, from the merger that I wasn't maybe expecting to see so early. Okay, cool. And um, do you have any tips for uh, anyone that are thinking of moving into a process like this, uh, doing a merger? Yeah, like do as much planning as you can before and like try to get to know each other as much as possible. I had the luck of that it didn't happen around midsummer. That was the original plan that it actually got pushed into August. So that I had like maybe 20, 30, 40 hours more with Robert. Since me and Robert are like this close working together on a day-to-day basis important that we got to know each other uh, i think uh, to have a hundred day plan is good don't fill it with too much things that are not necessary to be in those hundred days because if you do we had to establish new cultural values and all of this that are key but then to do all the other things uh, like pre-decided product decisions and so on they could have been done two months in maybe with better knowledge and better outcome Mm. and this kind of slowed us down because i've been sitting in meeting rooms internally for the last six months now when we're through this we've just recruited in a cco now i'm gonna get out again into the market and uh, understand where 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 the market is moving again where our customers are prospects so that we can yeah navigate this market in the best possible way okay 
So looking a bit forward here, the next uh, maybe two to three years, uh, what's in the pipeline for you? Any new mergers on the horizon? Any new mergers on the horizon? Uh, not any mergers on the on the near horizon, <laughs> um, but uh, we are not. Uh, we are open to uh, like opportunities moving forward as well in that space. But the big focus now is uh, getting really. Uh, good expansion and commercial expansion into Norway and Finland. Okay. On top of uh, using our strength here in the home market. And then the next step for next year would be to go international, uh, if that is through a strategic partnership or if that is organic, uh, that has to be future will tell. Um, and uh, yeah, we're really looking forward to bring this platform to market now that we launched in February um and see where it can take us but we at least want to double in the next couple of years and that's the goal okay exciting and as you know we have a fantastic community listening ceos and others so is there anything you would like uh, help with or a shout out that you want to do here yeah i mean if there anyone that are interested in like strategic partnerships uh, with uh, with that it can be mean a lot of things right but if you think that it would be a good fit to talk to us then then please reach out if you are in the market of want to offering video platforms or an integrated video platforms in some sense like those kind of partnerships as well we're looking for um, and of course if you're like a sassy organization want to do crispy webinars uh, like hit <laughs> me up and I'll sort you out a good discount code What's the best way of getting hold of you? Best way would be LinkedIn, uh, I would say, uh, or emailing me at victor.underwood.quickchannel.com. Okay. And as a faithful listener to the show, is there anyone that you've been waiting for? When should this person get on the show? But why don't you have her or him? Who would it be? Yeah, I mean, you have had so many like fantastic ones on and many of like the Fredrik Skanses and those type of like uh, big names that is always a joy to listen to. But I think uh, maybe Piotr uh, from Ingrid okay. could be a good shout. He's an interesting, uh, interesting person and leading a very interesting company with a big vision. Okay. Um, and also Suvar Mert at Bauer. Yeah. Sustainability tech company. Mm -hmm. Okay. I don't know them. Uh, no, cool. They're like doing this scanning so you can scan the barcode of things and get like recycling points and money and other things. Uh -huh. and everything with a barcode and they're yeah, growing really healthily. Um, and um, yeah, and Anders Hagberg at Sinoda, I also think what they're doing. All right. Some good suggestions there. And uh, I think we can promise that uh, we're going to have some of them on the show. Um, at least. So great, Victor. Thank you for getting on the show. It was really interesting to hear about your story and uh, about uh, merging two competitors together in the way that you have done. So uh, great to have you here. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a joy. Uh, I uh, look forward to uh, yeah getting some feedback on this show. It's all our pleasure and you're going to enjoy listening to this one. Thanks. So Daniel, what's your key takeaway from the episode today? This comes from me, never necessarily been this close to a merger or an acquisition. But I think Victor just confirmed something to me that 
I would say out of all the conversations I've heard, all the people we've had on the podcast and in informal conversations that were not recorded, a merger either always takes longer than you anticipated or it will take more resources than anticipated, which will derail your regular business, so to say. And I think he alluded to that a little bit. They went from you know, 40, 50% growth and now to 20%. And it's because they strategically decided, let's spend some more energy on getting this merger done in a record low time, in a short time and so on. But I think you have to be prepared and have the muscles, the resources, the cash flow to be ready that potentially you might see a slump in sales, new revenue, for a little bit of time while you get these companies to become one. Yeah, so so that, that is, you know, what what I take away from this. Like you gotta be mindful and respect the time and resource allocation, something like that this requires. What about you, Thomas? I think my takeaway is, is um, in the line of playing at each other's strength. So so it means what I thought was interesting is what even if these were two competitors working in the exact same fields competing in the same uh, of the same deals all the time uh, they actually complemented each other very well when they looked at what they were good at when it came to the commercial when it came to the technical aspects and such and i think that also made it easier from what i can hear deciding you know how the roles would be divided and um yeah, how the organization would, would look like because um, it was pretty clear where the strengths were. And that could be good also when you look at the different uh, options who to merge with. It can be tempting to maybe go with someone that looks exactly like you do organizational-wise, but it can be beneficial maybe to take someone that complements you instead. Exactly. Something like that. You want to have the Ferrari performance with the Ferrari look. Exactly. Yes. Speaking about Ferrari performance and Ferrari look, like what can people look ahead to in the SaaS Nordic world here? Yeah. So something's going on all the time. You know, expect there to be podcasts every week, expect there to be new articles on the SaaS Nordic website. And um, also uh, we have the ongoing uh, networks. Uh, we have the Slack channel open 24-7. We have the executive and CEO networks that has meetings every month. We actually do around 200 network meetings every uh, every year um, that we also moderate. Uh, but besides those things, we also have some um, some events coming up in the fall. Uh, we have SASGS Digital. When is that, Daniel? End of September, 27th and 28th, I believe. Yeah, and we're also going to launch a new event, SASGS Investor Day, and when is that? That is a little bit more of a floating date. It, no, it's not. <laughs> okay, sometimes in October. 25th of October. I'm trying you out here. <laughs> so, uh, and, and then we have for the second year in a row the SASIS Jobs Day, and that will be on December 7th. Yes. Boom. That's it. So, if you're looking for talent, if you have open positions, that you may get an opportunity to get 10 minutes on stage to tell why anyone would join your company. Uh, with that said, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, if you have any feedback for us, if you have any ideas of who would be on the show, if you want to recommend a speaker to some of the upcoming events, reach out to us. We are very available on LinkedIn, but you can also email us at contact at sasnodic.com and hope to see you soon. 
And with that, we say have a great rest of the day and see you soon again. Bye bye now. Bye.